Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Keeping on top of bills and finances can be a challenge for anyone. But for older adults with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other cognitive issues, things can get out of control fast. They may pay the same bills repeatedly, make impulsive purchases, or fall for online scams. And recent studies find that financial mistakes can actually be an early sign of dementia. Coming up on Forum, we'll talk about the latest research on cognitive problems and money and how to protect your and your loved one's finances. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. More than 700,000 Californians have Alzheimer's, the most common form of dementia, and that number is expected to double by 2040. These conditions can cause major problems with managing money, and a growing number of studies are showing that changes in financial habits, like strange purchases, missed bill payments, bad investments, may be an early sign of cognitive decline. We'll look at why this hour and at ways to safeguard your finances from mistakes or scams. And joining me is Sarah Bowden, health and science reporter at WESA Public Radio in Pittsburgh. Her series, The Cost of Forgetting, explores how people with dementia and their families navigate financial decision making. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Also, Dr. Duke Hahn is with us, Professor of Family Medicine, Neurology, Psychology, and Gerontology at Keck School of Medicine, USC. Dr. Hahn, glad to have you too. Thanks for having me. So Sarah, I want to talk about your reporting because it really made clear how cognitive decline can threaten a person's financial health. Could you just tell us some examples of financial mistakes you covered and the impact it had on people and their families? Sure. Well, people, some people I spoke to just 
their family members just weren't aware of their spending. They went from being incredibly thrifty to sort of impulsive with their money. Others forgot to pay bills, forgot to pay mortgages, would take out large amounts of money from the bank and cash and just not know where it went. Um, give lots of money to telemarketers, be really responsive to requests from mail donations. The list goes on and on. You reported on one woman, Angela Reynolds, who was dealing with this with her mother. In particular, I think her mother refinanced their home at a higher interest rate. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, that's a really hard story. Um, Her mother was one of the first Black homeowners in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, um, bought that home in 1966, um, had that home for about half a century. Um, And then at some point, the mom had refinanced the mortgage to a much higher higher interest rate. Angela still can't figure out why that happened. Um, But now the bank owns that home. Um, And so all that, the years of paying mortgage, that generational wealth that Angela's mother was building for Angela and her sister and her grandchildren, that's gone now. One of the things that really struck me reading your series was that financial mistakes can actually be one of the earliest signs of dementia. What did you learn about that? Yeah, that was very fascinating to me. So um, first of all, dementia is, you know, it's it's a subtle, often it's a very subtle thing that happens. It doesn't happen all at once. And so these little mistakes will start popping up. Maybe a forgotten bill here, you get lost on the way to the grocery store there. And, um, you know, a lot of times this can just look like normal signs of aging, but it's not, or it is a normal sign of aging that might eventually turn into something more serious. And so forgotten bills, confusions about how to write a check, um, confusion on how to calculate a tip. These can be early signs of a much bigger problem. So Dr. Han, why is that? What is specific to money and money management that can make it one of the first ways that that cognitive decline presents itself? Um, So uh, we think it's because there are specific brain regions that are sensitive to uh, the neuropathology that impacts the brain that causes dementia, um, and those brain regions that are sensitive uh, to that pathology, uh, I think, uh, we think a number of us think that uh, actually uh, are are uh, present themselves or they're most affected um, or their earliest uh, one of the earliest ways they're affected is by um, uh, through financial handling. And so, mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, reasons why I got interested in this topic is because I'm a, a clinical neuropsychologist by training, and so I do cognitive assessments for the diagnosis of dementia uh, mm-hmm. as um, a routine part of my um, practice. And I started uh, getting referred uh, patient after patient that uh, where it was discovered by family members or caretakers that they were making poor decisions uh, financially. Um, and I, I remember vividly this time about 15 years ago where patient after patient, uh, we would do hours of cognitive testing and they would test cognitively normal, but there was hmm. a clear change in financial decision-making behavior. Um, so that started an interest uh, in this topic as uh, this topic being um, financial decision making being one of the uh, earliest uh, potential signs of uh, dementia. So is it a function of some issues with the test? Do you think there are things that we should be testing for when we look at cognitive decline and whether it's happening in patients? 
I think most cognitive measures currently don't test financial decision making. And so I think that is part of the um, the reason. I also think, um, honestly, I think uh, some, there's something about financial decisions that uh, are really complex and require an integration of multiple different brain networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be that complexity, uh, that uh, complex behavior that might be um, more sensitive to this age-associated neuropathology that may cause dementia down the road. Um, If testing doesn't really look at this, are most doctors aware of how the connection between money mistakes can be a sign of cognitive decline and not just a normal, you know, function of aging? (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, I think um, uh, our laboratory and others are starting to bring attention to this uh, matter. I think there's been a number of really important studies that have just come out in the last five years or so that have really linked um, financial decision making to eventual um, dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And so I think this um, this is becoming a more widely known uh, um, potential risk factor to look out for. Hmm. We're talking about the links between cognitive decline, dementia, and money problems. We're talking with Sarah Bowden, health and science reporter for WESA, and Dr. Duke Hahn, a professor of family medicine, neurology, psychology, and gerontology at Keck School of Medicine at USC. And I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Have you or your family's finances been impacted by cognitive decline? What questions do you have about the impact of dementia on finances. Uh, Maybe you are or have been a financial caregiver. Any tips to share? You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, And we have on the line now Skip Walker um, from the peninsula in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to Forum, Skip. Thanks for having me. I was sorry to hear that your mother died of Alzheimer's in 2015. Your mother was living in Arkansas at the time? Correct. So you have told us that after your mother moved to a long-term care facility, you found out some surprising things about our finances. What did you learn? We we were long distance, so we were in the Bay Area. I work here and grew up here Um We literally got a call from Adult Protective Services that triggered her moving into uh, a a nursing care facility. And so as part of that, we rushed back and went into her home. And what we found was just um, disturbing, I guess is the best word. Mm -hmm. Um, A dining room table full of unopened envelopes, uh, bills. So... uh, uh, utility bills, water bills, tax bills. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of all the different things, uh, credit card bills. Mm. And what we'd found is that she'd open credit cards up with local stores, run up bills, hadn't been paying them. Uh, We started getting phone calls while we were there from people trying to collect. And um, Mm -hmm. it was just... um, I was incredulous. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't expect to walk into that. Um, she had even, um, she'd always been a really religious person. She'd started donating money to some of the, 
these, and which is which is fine. Um, these televangelists, the kind of people that brag about what the size of their Gulfstream jets are, not what I would consider to be, you know, more legitimate religious leaders. Um, she was donating to places like that and buying. I mean, we found bags of clothes and things in her bedroom still in bags where she'd bought the same thing literally three or four times still in the bag still with the tags on it and the receipts she'd buy something forget she'd bought it and then buy it again um so just it was just this it was um it was very disturbing and took quite a while to for us as the family to kind of uh, get our arms around it and get it in control and cancel credit cards and pay things down and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you were eventually able to wrap your arms around it and deal with it all. How long did that take and, and what other things it, did you do? It, it, to kind of get the the really bad stuff dealt with, probably six months. I mean, I got on the phone and started calling people, telling them what had happened and that they were going to get paid. And um, and then set up payment plans and work my way through it. Um, but it was, um, it was very difficult. I mean, I was, I'm self-employed. So when I'm back in Arkansas, I'm not here making money to help pay for that stuff. Um, it was, it was a pretty difficult time. This went on for, for quite a while and, and through her progression through the disease, um, we ended up because we were, we, me and my wife were helping to pay for care costs. We were, you know, we put off retirement. We stopped making deposits into our, uh, SEP IRAs. Um, hmm. just, you know, it impacted us, not just her finances. Um, so very, yeah. very troubling time. Well, I, I so appreciate you sharing that story and for helping us understand and think about just how critical it is to be able to figure out the signs of this and also uh, how to safeguard finances through cognitive decline. Skip, thanks so much. Thank you. I, I wish I'd, uh, I'd had Sarah's article to read back then because I'm sure the signs were there. We just didn't know what to look for. Skip Walker, helping us understand how dementia can threaten our financial health, both the person experiencing it and their families. And we'll have more on that after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with Sarah Bowden, health and science reporter at WESA Public Radio in Pittsburgh, who did a series that inspired today's show, The Cost of Forgetting, which explores how people with dementia and their families navigate financial decision-making and how dementia can threaten financial health. We're also with Dr. Duke Hahn, a neurologist at the Keck School of Medicine who has looked at this connection between money issues and cognitive decline. And you, our listeners, are sharing your stories and experiences. The listener writes, now that you can make purchases with a button on the remote, QVC and HSN have had an onslaught of elderly folks making tons of purchases. My aunt is one of them, and my uncle has to return what she buys. QVC acknowledged that this is a situation and is monitoring and canceling these heavy return accounts. I'm assuming they don't want to get sued. Dr. Han, I was struck by hearing Skip's story where he also talked about his mother making lots of purchases. The other thing he mentioned was that she was donating to a lot of televangelists. And I know that you looked into the link between giving away money and cognitive decline. What did you find out around that? Uh, Yes, we did in a a recent study of uh, 67 older adults. um, We uh, used a behavioral economics uh, um, task where uh, it assesses someone's willingness to give away money. And so the task goes like this, that um, uh, the participant is given $10 and they are told there is a random person online. Uh, They can give any of that $10 to that random person online that they wished or none at all. And uh, basically we just look to see um, what people did. And we, what we found was that in this group of uh, 67 non-cognitively impaired older adults, uh, the older adults who gave away more of that $10 to that random stranger online ended up performing lower on cognitive tests that we know are sensitive to uh, Alzheimer's disease. And so uh, this was one study um, that uh, supports among a growing many um, that this idea that uh, financial decisions, poor financial decisions in particular, might be an early sign of eventual uh, dementia. And I, I should note, this is a small study. It's a small uh, number of uh, people. We're trying to see if this um, finding holds up in a larger, more diverse sample. Yeah. Um, but this was something that uh, made sense to us at the time when we found uh, that finding. Yeah, it could be a tool in 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 seeing if this is a potential warning sign. Um, I want to go to caller Karen in San Francisco, who's on the line with us. Hi, Karen. Join us. Hi. So um, my mother passed away in 2019 and um, was suffering from, I guess, early Alzheimer's. My grandmother suffered from Alzheimer's as well, but um, we discovered um, when she passed that she had taken out a reverse mortgage and had not told um, any of her five children about it. Um, and she owed significant amounts of money on this mortgage. Um, you know, but years be- a couple of years before that, you know, she was in jeopardy of losing her home because she hadn't been paying the um, 
the insurance on the home, and we had to go to court with her to um, help her. Unfortunately, she had a, a compassionate judge who um, who wanted to make sure she was able to stay in her home, but she started circumventing us. Um, and she was particularly susceptible to not strangers, but members of the family who would come to her for money um, all the time. As a matter of fact, while she was in the hospital, she um, gave power of attorney to um, a member of the family, um, kind of a, a distant cousin. And um, there was not much we could do about it. Um, so she started to show signs of, you know, kind of diminished capacity with respect to her finance. But she was very defensive and secretive about her finances as well. So there wasn't a lot that we could do to help her um, short of, you know, legal avenues to kind of arrest um, decision-making away from her. And we didn't want to do that to her as well. Wow, Karen. Well, first, I'm sorry to hear that your mother passed. And just the ordeal that you describe, it, it was so much I'm sure, and gets at so many of the issues that actually our guests um, have experienced. Like Dr. Han, you said that you have often seen that it is relatives or family members or relationship fraud, I think you described it as, as something you have seen a lot of. Uh, yep, we um, we are generally interested in um, uh, the circumstances that contribute to financial abuse of older adults. And in working with the uh, some data from the National Center on Elder Abuse, uh, we did find that, unfortunately, family members were uh, often uh, the perpetrators of uh, financial abuse. And so um, so what the caller just shared uh, is, is is really sad. And I'm, I'm sorry um, that that happened. And uh, it's unfortunately a, um, a pretty common story. Well, I'd really like to bring into the conversation now Dr. Marty DeLima, Assistant Professor at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities School of Social Work, also lead author of The Thinking Ahead Roadmap, A Guide to Keeping Your Money Safe as You Age, which is a joint effort with the Stanford Center on Longevity. Marty, thanks so much for being on with us. Thanks for having me. I mean, you put together this roadmap to try to help give people strategies, including who is someone they can trust to help them through their financial decision-making processes as they age. But first, just, I imagine you did this because you weren't seeing a lot of resources or discussion in terms of helping people keep their money safe through the aging process. Right. So we were hearing a lot of stories like Skip's, like Karen's, and seeing resources out there for caregivers. So after the person has already lost financial decision-making capacity, but what we weren't seeing were many resources for the aging person themselves. So we wanted to start from the point of, you know, this is their money. Let's empower them to make a plan for their future and identify a financial advocate who will be there in cases like the situations that were described in the calls today. And so how do you find a good one? (laughs) What are some signs to know that the person you have, you can trust throughout this process? So in the Thinking Ahead Roadmap, we outline the qualities that you should look for in your financial advocate or your financial caregiver. So the top one, as we can all guess, is integrity. Someone who will put your needs in front of their own at all times. Someone who you trust will act as a fiduciary. And what should they have in terms of 
powers, power of attorney, for example. Why is that so important? Right. So any of us at all ages should identify who we want to act as our agent under power of attorney. So in the Thinking Head Roadmap, we call this person your financial advocate. And essentially what that legal document does is it specifies the powers that you want them to have in terms of financial decision making. So you can, in your power of attorney, write that they can have access to your checking account, savings account, you know, someone who can pay your bills, essentially, all the way to someone who can maybe have more hot powers, we call them, like the ability to change your beneficiary designations. So really, anything can happen down the road. Dementia is, of course, one of the plans that we want to prepare for or the possibilities we want to prepare for. But even just a bad car accident, even traveling out of the country for you know a long period of time, you yeah. want that financial advocate in place. Well, let me go to caller George in San Jose. Hi, George. You're on. Good morning, Nina and guests. Uh, I'm wondering if government policies are actually putting an additional burden on the elderly's ability to manage their finances. For example, uh, these debit card COVID uh, rebates that both the federal and state government uh, issued, uh, these require Internet access to read all the various fees, and many elderly people don't even have home Internet access. Also, when you activate those cards, it generally requires calling an 800 number, and, and, and in my experience, I generally get a very large increase in telemarketing calls after I call one of those tele telephone numbers. Mm. It's also difficult to, to figure out what your balance is on those cards, and it's also difficult to cash them out. Uh, in my opinion, the government should either issue checks or uh, transfer directly to your account, or at least if they issue a debit card, require that your bank be able to transfer the entire balance to your account uh, for no fee. Well, George, thanks for the question. I'm going to go back to you, uh, Dr. DeLima, but also I think what George is getting at is also there's this bigger question of whether or not governments or institutions are sensitive to the kinds of needs of people who are elderly or, or maybe experiencing early cognitive decline, which are two different things, but, um, you know, and and also maybe what role they should be playing here. Right. So George brought up a couple of interesting points, and one of them was accessibility. So, you know, there's this trade-off between convenience and speed and protections. And I think that, you know, the design of those, those debit cards, those credit cards to get people's benefits to them was to do it quickly and in their mind, simply. But of course, there are some barriers for older adults, not only understanding all of the fine print and details, but um, I was interested in this point about feeling like as soon as he calls that number, he then gets in, you know, in, inundated by telemarketing calls and maybe scam calls. And I think that that really causes mistrust among older adults, you know, mistrust of these these important programs, safety net programs. And so how do you restore trust and how do you ensure access, equitable access for people to, you know, who, who cognitively might need a little bit more guidance and assistance. You know, Sarah, you um, looked at the role that financial institutions, banks can play. Can you talk a little bit about what they have done and how aggressively they try to help or address this when they're starting to see strange withdrawals and so on? Sure. Well, more than one expert has described our the financial 
uh, industry and its approach to protecting older adults uh, dealing with cognitive decline. They've described it as the Wild West. Uh, there aren't a lot of government regulations. A lot of the, the policies are more like opt-in policies. And as a result, um, it, there's very there's not a lot of pressure on financial institutions to take proactive steps. Um, and even if there are policies in place, um, whether or not those are being implemented appropriately or effectively is a whole different question. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that our, the financial kind of, I guess, industry, our, our financial system as a whole is designed to benefit people who are at their cognitive at their cognitive prime. And it's not designed for people who are experiencing decline. And that is why we're having so many problems. And that's why so many people are being exploited. Yeah, I, it was your reporting that shared uh, that the National Council on Aging estimates that uh, seniors lose nearly $37 billion every year due to elder financial abuse and exploitation issues. We're talking with Sarah Bowden, health and science reporter for WESA Public Radio in Pittsburgh, about her series, The Cost of Forgetting, which explores how people with dementia and their families uh, deal with financial decision-making and financial mistakes. We're, we're also talking with Dr. Duke Hahn, professor of family medicine, neurology, psychology, and gerontology at Keck School of Medicine. And Marty DeLima is with us, assistant professor at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities School of Social Work. And you, our listeners, are joining us. What questions do you have about the impact of dementia or other forms of cognitive decline on finances? Have you or your family, family's finances been impacted? Are you a financial caregiver? What tips do you have? You can email forum at kqed.org, find us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. On the line, we have Shirley, whose parents were the victims of a financial scam. Shirley, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It sounds like your parents went through quite an ordeal. Can you share what happened to them? Yeah. Um, so my parents were tricked by a combination of um, uh, a compromised personal identifiable information. I think my dad, in, in retrospect, he thinks that his passport uh, might have been compromised uh, by maybe his travel agency. Uh, and so with that, a Photoshop copy of my mom's picture and passport number on a, like a one ad from the Chinese Public Security Bureau was what got them really scared uh, when they were approached by these thieves, scammers. And, uh, and so with that, my dad, you know, wanted to protect my mom, wanted to defend themselves. They were told that they were money laundering and that, you know, and, and my mom's name was on a package delivered somewhere. And so over the course of a month, uh, these scammers just kind of like, we're like, we're here to protect you. We want to help you, guide you through this. And they just like lamb to the slaughter, trusted these people, gave them all sorts of their um, financial information, and then, you know, sent wire transfers one by one uh, to three cryptocurrency accounts and one to uh, HSBC in Hong Kong, which is a known destination for money laundering. My parents lost their entire life savings. Uh, and um, the banks, and, you know, to to Ms. Bowden's point about the banks and the, being a wild west, the bank did nothing. Uh, even when we found out and tried to ask them to recall the last wire transfer, they were like, oh, you don't have a POA. 
And oh, the POA that you provided is not on the form that we use, so it's not legit. Oh, our legal team is not available until after the weekend, you know. And also, you know, when we call, when we immediately call the 24-hour hotline for wire transfers, uh, if there are any issues, nobody even manned the phone. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is a big bank. And so it, it, it took literally um, uh, me writing a letter to the CEO of the bank to finally get some attention. Oh, and then when we tried to, and then of course, after time passed, we knew the monies, we were not going to be able to recall it. We then say open an investigation to find out where the money went. Instead of opening an investigation and really diligently trying to figure out what happened, they closed our, the investigation twice. You know, say, oh, you know, we, was, uh, we tried to call you and nobody answered. And I'm like, well, of course nobody answered. We had to move my parents out of their home because they can't afford to live there anymore. You know, so it was just like they just were not really wanting to find out. It was like they wanted to, they were in CYA mode instead of trying to help my family. And so, yeah, so this was, a, it was really a, kind of a crazy time. It took us years to really put together everything that had happened. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Um, when I saw, and of course, you know, even before then, we were like, you know, my parents, they're losing it a bit, right? And we, we really thought so. And when I saw Ms. Bowden's article, I immediately sent it to my sisters going, this is exactly what happened. Of course, at the time, we didn't know about it. But in retrospect, it's like, that was exactly what's happening. They were just losing their mind. And so, I mean, losing their cognitive ability. And as a result, just trusting people that they shouldn't trust and being vulnerable to their suggestions. And then like literally like, like, a, like a child almost, like children listening to their teachers, people of authority. They were just kind of going along with what they told them. So, I know you've really wanted to get this story out. And, and I'm wondering what you're hoping people will learn or realize or what changes will come of more people hearing about what happened to your parents. Yeah. Um, I think as children, it's really hard for us to look at our parents and really just recognizing the reality that they're getting older and that they are, um, they, they're, they're losing their cognitive function. And so we, we as children, we're in denial of this. That's so dangerous because they need our help. Also, we're busy. You know, we're usually we're part of the sandwich generation. We're busy with our, we're, with our own kids, with our own lives. We're, you know, we're, you know, busy, our work is busy. And so all of that makes it so that you're kind of just, you know, almost ignoring, not consciously, but subconsciously ignoring or in denial about what's happening. I think you can't do that because the consequence is so dire in this age of scam. My parents were tricked by Photoshop. Imagine in this day, in this day and age with AI, how that, how much worse that's going to be. Well, Shirley, I really appreciate you sharing this, and thank you so much for your message. Thank you. We're talking about the impacts of dementia and financial health, cognitive decline, and money management, and money management mistakes, and vulnerability to exploitation. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Cognitive decline can make money issues get out of control very fast. It can also make people fall for online scams, make impulsive purchases, pay the same bills repeatedly. And now a recent and a growing number of studies are finding that financial mistakes can be an early sign of dementia or cognitive decline. Uh, We are talking with Sarah Bowden, a public radio reporter at WESA in Pittsburgh, a health and science reporter there that did a series called The Cost of Forgetting. Dr. Duke Hahn is a neurologist at the Keck School of Medicine at USC. And Dr. Marty DeLima is assistant professor at the University of Minnesota, who did a roadmap, a guide to keeping your money safe as you age, an effort with the Stanford Center on Longevity to help people as they get older make sure to keep their finances safe from exploitation and also maybe even safe from mistakes that they could make through the process. You're sharing your stories at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org and on our forum channels. And Tina tweets, my mom lived across the country from my sister and me, and she was good at covering up her memory issues. So she was years into dementia before we realized it. No telling what bad financial decisions she made in the meantime. And Emma writes, my question is about best practices for the day-to-day finances for my mom, who has early dementia, so is able to care for herself but can't manage her finances. Should she only use cash, a shared credit? card. Uh, Marty DeLima, any thoughts for Emma? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we did a lot of research with participants to ask them, you know, what would you be comfortable with, with, you know, getting help from another person? And what is, you know, some safe practices that also add in the checks and balances to make sure that the financial caregiver isn't um, exploiting the older adult? And I think that she's on to something. So I would say that there's a couple things that a mom, that you could do for your mom. You know, one is start consolidating accounts so that there's not some money sitting in accounts you're not aware of that can be, you know, getting slowly drained out maybe by a perpetrator or through bad decisions that you're not aware of. Um, there are, you know, ways to get, you know, joint bank account or at least get duplicate statements so that you can see your mom's spending. Um, also having both siblings on the account so that you can, again, input those checks and balances and kind of oversight. But yeah, getting, you know, a set credit card or or maybe a debit card that only has a limited amount of money that can be spent each month to kind of create um, a barrier between monthly spending and then the deeper pockets. So all of those are great ideas. Is technology the problem or a solution, Marty DeLima? I'm thinking about Shirley's point about AI and and things getting more sophisticated technologically. Right now, technology is more of a problem than the solution. And and that's my, my opinion. Um, We are seeing a rise in generative AI that has really changed the landscape of fraud. And I also want to make the point that 
any of us of any age are vulnerable to scams and fraud. And these systems, these, these forms of deception are so advanced that really sophisticated people, you know, outside of the context of the disease are succumbing to scams. So I would say we need to be very cautious about technology and how it can be used to deceive us, but also open to ways that we can maybe use technology to help keep our finances safe, like adding in those special monitorings, getting uh, signing up for fraud alerts or duplicate alerts so that the caregiver can see what's going on too. So we should use it to our advantage, but also be really cautious about what's coming down the pipeline and how it could be used to deceive us. I ask if technology can be a solution, Sarah, because I know in your reporting, you did mention that there were some apps that some people have found helpful. What are those? Um, so yeah, there's a host of apps um, that I would have to look up. They're not at the top of my mind, but there's a host of apps and more and more are springing up right now. And one of the reasons I'm so excited that you are doing this program because you cover San Francisco. And I think that there's a lot of really probably creative people right now listening that might have some really good ideas that might help find solutions. There isn't going to be one app, one policy that makes finances safer for older adults. But there are like, but if you have a multi-prong approach, and I think the fintech industry can be part of that, we can make um, older adults money safer in the future. Let me go to caller Barbara in Redwood City now. Barbara, you're on. Thank you. In uh, my close family, three of the older parental figures in the family space were in invaded upon by predators in three different ways uh phone call you've won a lot of money send us this money to trigger this disbursement to you which made this you know phd retired professor feel amazing that he could give to his children and the people he loved money to help for their secure future another a person needed a place to stay moved in the kind-hearted relative took them in for a couple months it ended up being several years including, oh, if you buy this car, I'll drive you around. Oh, why don't you put me on your will so that I get your house when you die? The third person, the children of this person said, oh, dad, you need help with your taxes? Let us help. And they found something similar to your caller who found the house of chaos. But worse, it turned out that there were people who were had their hooks in him to encourage him to fund various living situations. And it turned out he had some kind of he kind of had his own extreme notions about the future and what he needed to do to secure himself, including buying land in remote parts of the country and making sure people could go there. And so these, the, all these people were university educated. Two of them were retired academics who all felt like this will never happen to me. So I bring up those stories partly because I think it's so prevalent too, mm. as the generation who's going to be pretty soon in that position myself how can we remind ourselves that we're vulnerable? And number three, the effects on the families. You know, people don't always get along as they're going through this. Sometimes it kind of tears people apart as a family sibling unit. So that, I wanted to just bring up those vastly different in my mind and yet so much the same yeah. situation. Oh, well, thank you for sharing. It is heartbreaking to hear, Barbara. I'm so sorry. 
Another story here, Carol writes, my husband while home alone in the early stage of Alzheimer's was scammed by a caller claiming to be a lawyer representing our daughter. Our daughter, she said, had been arrested for drunk driving. The quote lawyer who knew our daughter's name and obviously our phone number put our daughter on the phone sobbing so hard that she was unintelligible. The lawyer told my husband to send $800 by MoneyGram to pay for her release from jail and her travel back to home in New York City. My husband rushed to the bank and bought the MoneyGram at CVS across the street. When I got home, I tried to cancel the MoneyGram, but it was too late. Dr. Han, I know that you have looked into or are thinking about brain regions that might be relevant to making us more susceptible to scams or some aspects of aging or brain changes that, that might make us more susceptible to being manipulated. What are you learning in that space at all? Uh, yeah, so we have a few studies uh, actually focused on just that. And um, from our work, we are finding that uh, the hippocampus, uh, that deterioration in the gray matter of the hippocampus, uh, really before any sort of noticeable cognitive decline, uh, might be associated with greater susceptibility to scams. And that's even adjusting for cognitive ability um, and age and demographics. And so that's one region that we know is very sensitive to uh, age-associated neuropathology. Um, it's also very much implicated in early Alzheimer's disease. And so we're, uh, we're finding that also implicated in um, susceptibility to scams. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up another brain region we're also seeing, uh, which is the insula. And the insula um, is a brain region that really gives us a gut feeling or reaction to a social situation. It's, it's basically uh, one of the brain regions that helps us learn how to trust or when we can trust a situation. And it seems to be that that brain region also seems to be, uh, seems to decline uh, in certain people that may be more susceptible to scam and fraud. And so um, it's, and I, I need to also make the point, uh, I think Marty and others have made this point that uh, all of us could be, um, could fall victim to scam or fraud. Um, there are, uh, you know, it's not just a blanket um, uh, as we get older, things will get worse. It's really that uh, certain uh, situations and certain um, groups of people that we think uh, might be more susceptible to uh, making poor financial decisions. Um, but those brain regions in particular, uh, we think are really involved. Hmm. Well, Shasta writes, my parents have Parkinson's, which often develops dementia and Louis body dementia, and they were both in extreme denial that anything was wrong. We couldn't help them because they wouldn't allow it. And short of going to court to get a conservatorship, we couldn't do anything about it. When my dad died, his finances and taxes were an utter catastrophe. My mom is now in a memory care facility, but it took years to get all the finances and taxes in order. Marty, how do you broach the subject with family members if you're worried because there's more than just being susceptible to scams, but there's you're just worried that, yes, in fact, they are making decisions that could be a suggestion of cognitive decline. Right. So we also explored what are some good conversation starters? You never want to start with, hey, mom, I think you have dementia. Let's talk about your money. You know, let's bring up so many sensitive topics all at once. So that's obviously a bad strategy. A better strategy that we found in our research was telling stories about other people that we've heard. Like, hey, do you remember when, you know, Aunt Susan was going through some stuff and then she had issues with finances? Well, I wouldn't want anything like that to happen to me, mom. So I'm doing my power of attorney. I was wondering, have you done your power of attorney yet? So ways to kind of approach the situation, low stress, 
non-judgmental, and really kind of avoiding the conversation about memory decline or decline, and really focused on being prepared and kind of being for, you know, ready for whatever lies ahead. Yeah. Sarah, I know you looked into this too. Is there anything you'd want to add about best practices for conversations? Well, I just think it's really important to include the entire family or maybe not the entire family, but more than two people in the conversation because you have a circle of trust and a redundancy that can kind of insulate uh, the vulnerable person against exploitation by another family member, which is really common. Um, That's really important. And then also I think that when you are making or helping a loved one make financial decision, you need to remember that it's about them and their money and their value. So even if, for example, they want to, you know, have a certain cable package or buy a certain shirt, as long as it's within a budget and feasible, understand that this is money also represents autonomy, um, self-determination mm. and you can't, it's, it's really important to not replace your values with theirs if possible. Do you think a primary care doc should be the one to bring this up? Are there advantages to that? I think everybody should be bringing it up. It's, 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 it takes a village to keep everyone safe and healthy, uh, be it children, older adults, um, middle-aged people. Um, but I think primary care definitely has a role in this. Something that I think uh, that a lot of advocates told me is that they would like primary care physicians to ask older people how their money's doing, how their budgeting is doing, what's their checkbook look like, maybe metaphorically, because a lot of us don't keep checkbooks anymore. But I think that that, because that can be, because financial issues can be the canary in the coal mine. That is something that more people need to talk about. At the same time, money is such a sensitive thing. And so when you're asking primary care doctors to do that, you're asking them to do something very sensitive. You're already talking about their body, their health. Then you're talking about money. It's, it is not an easy road, but it is something as a society we need to approach, especially because baby boomers are getting older and they have the highest concentration of household wealth. And therefore we really need to be talking about this as a society at every level. We're talking about how to keep your money safe as you age. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Patricia in Los Altos. Hi, Patricia, you're on. Hi. Um, I live in uh, California and have a, had a mom in Florida who, after she lost her husband, uh, found a 30-year younger boyfriend who proceeded to drain everything she had financially her husband had left her enough money to live on, but uh, because he, the boyfriend, and my mom were both alcoholics, they just they went through all of her money, and we were supporting her um, and letting her use her money as she wanted. Um, but then toward the uh, later, uh, the boyfriend who had been taking care of her um, didn't take care of her, and the situation became very um, difficult to the point that I eventually had to call in. Uh, I started calling elder abuse because, you know, I arrived at their house and the utilities were turned off and there were six months of bills piled up in the corner and that kind of thing. And that went on for years. But eventually um, I had to get Medicare and Medicaid nurses to come in because she was um, he wasn't feeding her. She was losing weight. She had bed sores and she was living in absolute filth. And for three years, I called 
the elder abuse people and asked them to intervene. And they always told me it's the person's right to make decisions that are that are not in their interest as long as they're cognitively okay. So they wouldn't do anything. And then eventually um, the situation became so bad that the nurses that were visiting her reported it. And then I got a call from elder abuse saying that, um, that they had determined that she needed to be in assisted living and I needed to come to Florida that weekend and move her or they were going to sue me for neglect. And I went down oh, there and goodness. I got her into assisted living, and um, it was just a it was just a total mess. You know, oh, she went through several hundred thousand dollars of money. Yeah, and she the boyfriend didn't feed her. She lost a lot of weight. She, oh, Patricia, uh, this you know had bed bed sores all over her. Yeah, and, this just so ex- so excruciating. This is just such an excruciating story, Patricia. And I'm so sorry you went through that. Have we gotten better, Marty? At like not sort of, it almost reminds me of like how we sort of treat these kinds of things as a private matter when a relationship is involved. Right. And, and different adult protective services throughout the United States have different rules about, you know, who is eligible for services. And it sounds like what happened with Patricia's mom is that she um, was not considered a vulnerable adult um, and that they deemed that she had the capacity to make her own choices. But there is kind of this a conflict between autonomy and right to self-determination and elder protection. And it sounds like her mother was a victim of both, you know, neglect and other forms of abuse in addition to financial. So yeah, what a catastrophic case. Can you just talk a little bit, Marty, about the importance of not being isolated as an older person? I do feel like we have heard, you know, just people saying it, it people were far away, hundreds of miles yeah. away. What a common thread in all these stories about living at a distance. Yeah, social isolation is such a big risk factor for elder abuse and especially for financial uh, abuse. And, you know, we should check in on each other. We need to check in on our neighbors, certainly our parents. And it is important to do those in-person visits because you might not learn a lot on the phone. I know one of the callers said we couldn't we didn't know for years that she was in the throes of dementia. But if you go inside the home, you see bills stacking up, you'll notice, um, you know, rotting food in the fridge. All of those are signs that this person, it's time to step in and provide some support. And you can find Marty's Thinking Ahead Roadmap at thinkingaheadroadmap.org. This listener writes, dementia is much more than memory loss with aging. It also causes problems with judgment, orientation, affect, and cognitive function. Every adult should anticipate this and have a plan for their own matters, financial among them, it's not just our parents, it's all of us. Well, Marty DeLima, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. And also, Dr. Han of USC, really appreciate you as well being on with us. Uh, thanks for having me. And Sarah Bowden, thanks for your reporting. Uh, Thank Sarah you. Bowden, yeah, WSA Public Radio in Pittsburgh. The cost of forgetting your piece, really, really appreciated reading it. Thanks so much. Very comprehensive. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Skip and Shirley, for coming on to share your stories and raising awareness. Thank you for your stories, experiences, and questions that just really advanced our conversation. And thanks, Dan all again, for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.